Welcome to Church Meets World, a new podcast from American Media about where the Catholic Church meets the most interesting and consequential issues of our time. I'm Maggie Van Dorn, an audio producer at America. And I'm Sebastian Gomes, an executive editor at America. And I'm also the host of another podcast that we produce called Voting Catholic. And it's just been released, and it looks at the most important voting issues of the 2020 election from a Catholic perspective. Yeah, we talk about issues like abortion, healthcare, racial justice, poverty, climate change, all things that we are confronting in our country at this time. And how they're all connected, really. Mm -hmm. But what's really unique about it is the approach that we took, Maggie, and that was to put front and center the real stories of people who live and struggle with these issues, right? Activists, mm-hmm. people who mm-hmm. have been impacted negatively from, you know, climate change or poverty or whatever. Um, and those stories are what shape our reflection on each of the issues. And, you know, headed into this election, we are inundated with talking heads and opinions, but we decided to take this deeply personal and particular storytelling approach where we invited people who have lived these issues, have struggled with them, or have dedicated their lives to bettering them. And we felt that was really important because it it comes complicates our preconceived notions about these issues in a healthy way, right? Like once you're face to face with a real story, with a real concrete experience and all the complexity and nuance that comes along with it, suddenly you're like, wow, this isn't as black and white as I thought. Mm -hmm. And we know that you know, one person can't fully represent the issue or, you know, the range of experiences surrounding this, but it really does anchor us in a kind of particularity um, that is often lost in abstract debates. That's right. So we wanted to bring you uh, one episode from Voting Catholic. It's the first episode of the series, and it's really setting the stage for those subsequent episodes that deal with individual issues. This first episode looks at what happened to the Catholic vote? It's kind of a historic survey from when Catholics used to vote in a block in the United States to now basically being divided along party lines. So that development is really, really important and crucial for understanding how the Catholic vote, which is a swing vote in in each election cycle, will actually play out in the 2020 election. And if you enjoy it, just search Voting Catholic wherever you get your podcasts, hit subscribe, and then you won't miss a single episode. But for now, here's episode one, What Happened to the Catholic Vote. It was September 12th, 1960, an election year in the United States. Nearly a thousand religious leaders, mostly Protestant ministers, gathered in the crystal ballroom of the Rice Hotel in downtown Houston. Reverend Mesa, Reverend Rock, I'm grateful for your generous invitation to state my views. Before them stood the Democratic candidate for president, a 43-year-old senator from Massachusetts named John F. Kennedy. They didn't want to hear about his political platform or about his foreign or domestic policy ideas. They wanted to know something more elemental. They wanted to know if Kennedy's Catholic faith threatened one of America's most sacred principles, religious liberty. So it is apparently necessary for me to state once again not what kind of church I believe in, for that should be important only to me, but what kind of America I believe in. I believe in an America where the separation of church and state is absolute, where no Catholic prelate would tell the president 
should he be Catholic, how to act. And no Protestant minister would tell his parishioners for whom to vote. Kennedy was nearing the end of an extraordinary campaign. He had a lot working against him. His Republican opponent, Vice President Richard Nixon, said the 43-year-old Kennedy lacked experience, especially in foreign policy. He pointed to the unpredictability of the Cold War and the so-called space race with the Soviet Union. Kennedy had been vague on tax cuts and other economic policies, and that played into the caricature that he was more interested in politics than policy. He was also cautious on civil rights, and that made black voters hesitant to support him. But suspicious, too, were the Democratic Party's large Southern white voters. And on top of all of that, the 1950s and the administration of President Dwight Eisenhower had been a relatively prosperous time for most Americans, or at least most white Americans. And there was little desire among them for a change in how the country was being governed. But arguably the greatest hurdle Kennedy faced was his faith. White Protestant America, particularly in the South, was very suspicious of Kennedy's Catholicism. It was less about his personal views of religion and more an irrational fear that somehow the president of the United States and leader of the free world could actually be controlled by the American bishops, or even worse, the Pope himself. One telling joke at the time was that a Kennedy victory would lead to a change in the currency motto, from In God We Trust to In the Pope We Hope. The attacks on Kennedy's faith echoed the campaign against Al Smith back in 1928. Smith was the Democratic governor of New York at the time, and the first Catholic nominee of any major party. The Ku Klux Klan, which was powerful at the time, called Smith the Antichrist. Leaflets blanketed the country, warning that if a Catholic won the White House, all Protestant marriages would be annulled and the possession of a Bible would be illegal. The rhetoric went so far as to suggest a tunnel would be built between Washington, D.C. and Rome for the Pope to use in secret. With all of this historical anti-Catholic baggage, Kennedy accepted the invitation from the Greater Houston Ministerial Association to address the, quote, religious issue. It was two months before the election. I believe in an America that is officially neither Catholic, Protestant, nor Jewish, where no public official either requests or accepts instructions on public policy from the Pope, the National Council of Churches, or any other ecclesiastical source. With poise and conviction, Kennedy laid out his bold vision for an American electorate, one that could overcome religious tests and vote on individual conscience and the real issues. It was almost as if he were reciting a creed, not a creed professing his particular faith, but an idealistic and truly American creed, one grounded in the Constitution. I believe in a president whose views on religion are his own private affair, neither imposed upon him by the nation nor imposed by the nation upon him as a condition to holding that office. Kennedy would go on to win the November 1960 election, edging out Richard Nixon by the narrowest of margins, the first Catholic president of the United States of America. He received 80% of the Catholic vote, overwhelming support from a growing and increasingly diverse population that included whites, Latinos, and blacks, recent immigrants, and those with deep roots in America, and both labor union members and the managerial class. Finally, I believe in an America 
where there is no Catholic vote, no anti-Catholic vote, no block voting of any kind. And where the Catholic irony Protestant is that Kennedy would not have won the presidency without Catholics voting for him as a block, the same block voting he lamented in his speech. But in the decades that followed, his vision would be realized, not perhaps in the way he expected. Anti-Catholic sentiment did recede, but so too did the Catholic bloc vote. More and more Catholics became fragmented, aligning their values and beliefs with political platforms more than some church teachings. Until today, in 2020, when Catholics are split right down the middle. From America Media, I'm Sebastian Gomes, and this is Voting Catholic, a podcast about what's at stake in the 2020 election from the people who know the issues best and bring their faith to the voting booth. In this first episode, before we turn to specific issues, some historical context. What happened to the Catholic vote? On March 16, 1980, 20 years after John F. Kennedy's presidential campaign, his brother Ted marched in the St. Patrick's Day Parade in Chicago. He was seeking votes for his White House bid. It didn't go well. He faced indifferent and even hostile crowds, and two days later he was crushed in the Illinois Democratic primary by the more moderate incumbent Jimmy Carter. Kennedy even lost the Catholic vote. When Carter faced off with the Republican nominee, Ronald Reagan, they split the Catholic vote, and Carter lost the election. Four years later, in 1984, Reagan easily won the Catholic vote. And ever since, most polls have put the Catholic vote close to the overall vote. What happened? One explanation is that the Democrats lost their hold on Catholic voters as the party moved steadily to the left on issues like abortion. Another theory is that American Catholics, white Catholics in particular, had made significant gains in household income and better education and could no longer be stereotyped as working-class residents of large northern cities. The Democratic Party also moved decidedly in the direction JFK had articulated in his Houston speech. They began to differentiate private faith from political life. That alienated more staunch white Christians, many still in the Democratic Party, who found an unapologetic and anti-abortion home in a reconfigured Republican Party. By 1992, it was clear that the Catholic vote was as broad and diverse as the American electorate as a whole. And neither of the two Catholics who made serious runs for the presidency that year, Democrat Jerry Brown and Republican Pat Buchanan, counted on or received a large share of the Catholic vote. More recently, the emergence of the Latino Catholic vote, which leans heavily Democrat, has further split the Catholic population. Then, 2016 happened. And above all else, we know this. In America, we don't worship government, we worship God. It was, in so many ways, an unconventional campaign and election. Fox News decision desk has called Pennsylvania for Donald Trump. This means that Donald Trump will be the 45th president of the United States. Right after the break, we'll speak with Greg Smith from the Pew Research Center to understand exactly how Catholics voted in 2016. Then we'll find out who Catholic voters are today in 2020. We're looking at the data, what they reveal when we come back.
Hi, this is Maggie Van Dorn, and I help produce Voting Catholic. It's no ordinary time for politics and the presidential election. So if you're enjoying Voting Catholic, I recommend signing up for the America Today newsletter. Every day, America delivers free breaking news and analysis from a smart, informed perspective. It's completely free and brings these important stories straight to your inbox, all with the intelligence and civility you expect from America. Visit americamag.org slash newsletters. And thank you for listening. Welcome back. To understand what happened to the Catholic vote in the 2016 election and how the Catholic vote breaks down today, I spoke to Greg Smith. He's an associate director of research at the Pew Research Center. He analyzes data in the area of religion and public life. Greg, take us back to 2016. Donald Trump, an atypical candidate who ran a contentious campaign, wins the presidency. How did Catholics vote in that election? Catholics, compared to many other religious groups, were fairly evenly divided in the 2016 election. Uh, 52% of Catholics tell us that they voted for Donald Trump in that year, compared with 44% who backed Hillary Clinton. So evenly divided compared to some other religious groups, uh, but on balance, more support for Donald Trump among Catholics in 2016 than for Hillary Clinton. If we look back over a longer period of time, what we can say is that in, a, in recent presidential elections, Catholic voters have swung back and forth between the Republican and Democratic candidates, and they've tended to be evenly divided. Catholics narrowly backed George W. Bush over John Kerry in 2004, uh, but they chose Barack Obama over John McCain in 2008, and they did so by a 54 to 45% margin. And then in 2012 and also in 2000, Catholics in the United States were split pretty much right down the middle. So they've been closely divided, and in any given election year, the Catholic vote as a whole has the potential to swing back and forth from one party to the other. Okay, so considering what you just said, how are we to understand who the Catholic voter is today? Well, I think maybe one important thing to understand is that Catholics as a whole very much resemble the U.S. population as a whole in a variety of important ways. A little more than half of Catholics in the United States are white, and a little less than half are, are people who come from racial and ethnic minority backgrounds, the largest of which uh, includes Catholics who are Hispanics. White Catholics over the last 20 years or so have been trending quite steadily in a Republican direction. And in our most recent data, Almost six in 10 white Catholics tell us that they identify with or lean toward the Republican Party. White Catholics express more approval than disapproval of the way Donald Trump has handled his job as president. We found that about six in 10 white Catholics would vote for Donald Trump if the election were held today. And what about Hispanic Catholics? Hispanic Catholics are very different. The first thing to know about Hispanic Catholics is that Hispanics are growing as a share of the U.S. Catholic population. About two-thirds of Hispanic Catholics tell us that they identify with or lean toward the Democratic Party. The big majority of Hispanic Catholics tell us that they disapprove of the way that Donald Trump is handling his job as president. 
And they tell us looking ahead that if the 2020 presidential election were held, held today, uh, the big majority of them would, uh, would back Joe Biden over Donald Trump. So Hispanic Catholics and white Catholics, while they share a faith in common, while they share their Catholicism in common, are very different politically. They're at totally different ends of the political spectrum. Now, Catholics are not only white and not only Hispanic. Uh, we have black Catholics in the United States. We have Asian Catholics in the United States. Do you have any data or large enough sample sizes to pull data on these groups? You are absolutely right. White Catholics and Hispanic Catholics don't constitute the entirety of the Catholic population in the United States. Uh, but unfortunately, in most of our surveys, we just don't have a large enough sample to be able to talk specifically about the views or characteristics of black Catholics or Asian Catholics or uh, other smaller groups. Doesn't mean they're not important. I wish we could say more about them, but unfortunately, we're limited uh, by what we can say, uh, given the, the size of the samples we have to work with. Greg, apart from race and ethnicity, are there other factors that help explain how Catholics vote? There are some other factors that we can point to. I think race and ethnicity is probably chief among uh, the things one should understand if one wants to understand Catholic politics in the United States. But we, we can also point to geography. There are some regional differences uh, between Catholics in the way they approach politics in the United States. So what we see in the data is that Catholics who live in the western part of the United States, they tend to be a little less supportive of Donald Trump, a little less Republican as compared with Catholics in other parts of the country. And part of what's behind that pattern is the fact that Hispanics make up a very large part of the Catholic population, especially in the western part of the United States. I think it's interesting to note that um, you know, historically, when we think about Catholics in the United States and where they live and where they have a political impact, we, we, we might tend to think of the Northeast and, in the, and the Midwest, Catholics located in those areas. And the data show that most white Catholics do indeed continue to reside in the Northeast and in the Midwest. But Hispanic Catholics uh, live mainly in the southern United States and in the western United States. Uh, and, and the growth of the Hispanic population is, among other things, uh, helping to shift the geographic center of U.S. Catholicism from the Northeast and the Midwest towards the South and the West. And that certainly has the potential to have political implications. You know, there's one other factor that that's important to consider when we when we think about catholic politics in the united states and that's education among white catholics who have graduated from college only about 4 in 10 say they approve of of the job that donald trump is doing as president among white catholics with less education 6 in 10 say they approve of the job that donald trump has done as president and when we ask people how they intend to vote this year in the 2020 presidential election we see that about 2 thirds of white catholics who have not completed college say they intend to vote for donald trump over joe biden by contrast among white catholics who have completed college among white catholic college graduates they're split pretty much right down the middle. About half say they would vote for Donald Trump if the election were held today. The other half say they would back Joe Biden. Is the Catholic Church as a community unique among other religious communities in that regard? 
Yeah, that is right. The one thing to keep in mind is that, you know, when we talk about Catholics as a whole, we're including people from a wide variety of racial and ethnic backgrounds. Whereas for many of the other religious groups, you might think of them as ethno-religious groups we describe. We effectively take race out of the equation by focusing either on white Protestants, for example, as compared with black Protestants. Greg, hearing all this data makes me think that, you know, this is a moment of intense and pervasive polarization in the United States. And as a Catholic, I guess I've always been taught and presumed that being united, you know, being a community of believers is really important. But it strikes me that today Catholics seem to be divided more along social and political lines rather than a group of people who actually shares a common faith. Does your data confirm that or have anything to say about that? Yes, indeed. The data show very clearly that at least when it comes to politics, Catholics in the United States are polarized along partisan lines, just as is the broader U.S. public as a whole. And you can see this in a variety of ways. For example, when we look at attitudes about abortion, we can see that most Catholic Republicans in the United States say they are opposed to legal abortion. They think abortion should be against the law in most or all cases. Most Catholic Democrats, by contrast, take the opposite position. They say they think abortion should be legal in most or all cases. So Catholics are politically polarized in their in their attitudes about abortion. Which is an issue that is, you know, a fundamental moral position of the Catholic Church, that abortion is wrong. Absolutely. And on that particular issue, when it comes to their attitudes about abortion, we can see that Catholic Republicans are more in line, are more in step with the, with the teaching of the Church than are Catholic Democrats. But when we look at other issues, um, that pattern is reversed. It's, uh, on other issues, it's Catholic Democrats that tend to have more in common, that tend to match more closely with the teachings of the church than do Catholic Republicans. And we can see that, for example, when we look at attitudes about immigration. We asked a really interesting question early in 2019. Uh, would you favor or oppose substantially expanding the wall along the U.S. border with Mexico. The vast majority of Catholic Democrats, 9 in 10 Catholic Democrats, say they oppose expanding the wall along the border with Mexico. Catholic Republicans, it's just the opposite. 8 in 10 Catholic Republicans say they favor substantially expanding the wall along the U.S. border with Mexico. Greg, over the years, you've conducted countless studies, looked at all of this data, analyzed it. I'm wondering, like, what have you learned about Catholics and the way that they approach their decision for whom to cast a vote? And if anything surprises you from that reflection? Yeah, you know, one, one key takeaway uh, is this. When we talk about Catholic politics, and when we hear discussions of Catholic politics, and when we hear Catholic leaders talk about how Catholics should approach politics, that discussion is often framed as a matter of priorities. Which issues should take precedence when, when Catholics are deciding how to vote, and which issues might be um, important but less so compared to other issues? But what I've come to, to see and what the data clearly show is that um, it's not just a matter of priorities. And I say that because uh, 
if prioritizing is what's important, that kind of assumes that Catholics share the same fundamental attitudes about important issues like abortion or, or, or immigration or climate change or you name it. But that's just not the case. Catholics on issue after issue after issue simply disagree with the positions that uh, church leaders might take. So we know, for example, that that most Catholics uh, do not oppose legal abortion. Most Catholics, in fact, say they think abortion should be legal in most or all cases. We also know, for example, that most Catholics uh, favor allowing gay and lesbian couples to legally marry. We know that many Catholics say they favor substantially expanding the wall along the uh, southern border with Mexico. So on these issues and on so many others, there are large segments of the Catholic population that simply disagree with the positions of the church or with the positions of, of many leaders within the church. And so uh, it's not just a matter of which issues do Catholics prioritize. Really, the even more fundamental question is how many Catholics agree with the position of the church on whatever issue might be in question. Greg, thank you very much for taking the time to explain this to us. Thank you very much uh, for having me. But let me stress again that these are my views. For contrary to common newspaper usage, I am not the Catholic candidate for president. I am the Democratic Party's candidate for president who happens also to be a Catholic. I do not speak for my church on public matters, and the church does not speak for me. It was a noble speech, and prophetic in a way. Kennedy proposed a form of political engagement in which he could follow his conscience, hold fast to his Catholic identity, and champion the issues confronting the nation. It's the way many American Catholics approach voting today. We live in an era when neither of the two major political parties aligns completely with Catholic teaching. But even if there were such a party, as Greg Smith from Pew Research told us, Catholics don't always vote according to church teaching. So how will the 50 million Catholics eligible to vote shape the 2020 election? In the following episodes, we're diving into the most important voting issues for American Catholics. We're speaking to the people who know the issues best and bring their faith to the voting booth. Next time on Voting Catholic, we look at immigration. The number of new illegal immigrant families who have crossed the border so far this year already exceeds the entire total from 2015. I speak with a young activist and DACA recipient. Immigration is, is always going to be a pawn for politicians to push for their agenda. And later in the series, we hear from Amy Murphy, a queer feminist who shares the traumatic experience that changed her view on abortion. It was in that moment when my own life was threatened that I realized that I couldn't take part in this ongoing cycle of violence and oppression. For complete coverage of the 2020 election from America Media, visit americamagazine.org. 
If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting us. It's easy to do. Visit americamagazine.org slash donate or subscribe to our award-winning print magazine. Thank you for your support. And if you know someone who would enjoy this podcast, let them know about it. That's the simplest way to spread the word about the series. Voting Catholic is a production of America Media, a Jesuit ministry. This episode was written by me and Robert David Sullivan. It was produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Sound design and mixing by Ashley Spillane. With production assistance from Kevin Robles and Erica Rasmussen. Art by Sean Tripoli and Allison Hamilton. It was recorded at a safe distance in the William J. Loeschert Studio at America Media in New York City. Voting Catholic was made possible by the generous support of Beth and Tom Rainey. I'm your host and executive producer, Sebastian Gomes. Thanks for listening. I'm Kevin Robles, an audio fellow at America. We hope you enjoyed the first episode of Voting Catholic. To hear the rest of the series, just search Voting Catholic wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. And one more thing. Millions have already voted, but most Americans still need to cast their ballot. And both the Trump and Biden campaigns are reaching out to a key voting bloc, Catholics. So along with listening to Voting Catholic, we encourage you to visit americamagazine.org to read the smartest analysis of the election and learn how Catholics are thinking about their vote.